The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is Partnerships Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, and we've got a terrific topic today for you that applies to every company everywhere around the world, wherever you are in your digital transformation. Let me start out with the buzz. I have a quote here from Jack Welsh. If you're not familiar with his name, John Francis Jack Welsh, Jr., retired American business executive author, chemical engineer, and you may know him as the chairman and CEO of General Electric from 1981 to 2001. He had quite an interesting tenure there and made a lot of accomplishments. So here's the quote I found. No company, small or large, can win over the long run without energized employees who believe in the mission and understand how to achieve it. Now, let me just let that sink in for a second. So our focus is going to be on employees, actually on empowering employees. So let me give you a little more information. As your company plans for digital transformation, and come on, that's not a new term anymore. This should not come as a surprise. You need to be part of the digital world if you're going to stay around as a business, if you're going to succeed and thrive and grow and compete. So as your company plans for digital transformation, wherever you are in that journey, you may be laser focused on your business processes. Oh my, how do we do this and how do we automate this and how do we use new innovations? It's very exciting, time consuming, but wait a minute. You may be forgetting about the true core of what differentiates your business. What is it? Let's get down to basics. It's your people, your employees, your human talent. That's what you cannot forget. You cannot forget to bring them along for the ride. But let's look at what's happening with the workforce today. The physical and digital workplace boundaries are blurring. You have an agile workforce. You may have people who are inside a building, people who are working remotely, telecommuting, if you will. You may have seasonal employees, contractors, gig employees. How are you going to integrate them and empower them into your bigger plans? You can't forget your people. They are the key to service. They are the key to keeping everything humming. And you need your people on board to help you grow and thrive. But empowerment is a changing, moving target right now. It's changing and you need to change with the time. 
time. So we have two experts today who are going to help us explore this topic. Let me just tell you who they are briefly, and then we will start with their opening quotes. First up, in just a moment, it will be my pleasure to introduce a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Hans-Peter Mellerud, and he is the founder and CEO at Zalaris, Z-A-L-A-R-I-S, if you want to look him up. And joining him on the panel is SAP Senior VP of Managed Cloud. He said said we love long titles at SAP, Roger Quinlan, who was on a show with me a couple of months ago. So Hans-Peter has sent us a quote from Jan Carlson, or maybe Jan Carlson, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Born in 1941, Carlson is a Swedish businessman, most noted for being Chief Executive Officer of SAS Group from 1981 to 1994. This is the holding company for the National Airlines of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, a.k.a. Scandian Scandinavian airline system. Here is the quote Hans-Peter has selected. An individual without information can't take responsibility. An individual with information can't help but take responsibility. Very interesting quote. Hans-Peter Mellerud, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm great. Glad to have you on board. I'd love for you to tell me about this quote and, and, and how you know Jan or Jan, Jan Carlson. Tell me how to pronounce his name yeah. and uh, tell me how the quote applies to our topic, please. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, even though much has changed in business since the 80s and 90s when uh, Mr. Carlson was uh, heading the turnaround for the SAS uh, in, in the Nordics, his famous words still symbolizes two important features also for today's business. That one, we have to understand customer needs and we have to involve employees. And if we give the employees the information, you know, it's like the old saying, what measures is also getting done. So if you give uh, employees information and if you, if you empower them to also make decisions based on that information, you can, you will get a much better customer satisfaction or net promoter or whatever you call it these days in the interaction that you have with the customer. And as an example, you know, my parents were supposed to visit my father's brother the other day up in the north of Norway, so they had to fly. And my father's brother became sick, so they had to cancel the flight. So they called the the, the travel insurance agency and also how do we handle this and on the fly i guess you know my parents are pretty uh, not the highest <laughs> utilizer of their insurance the mm-hmm. the, the agent uh, serving them he was able to basically refund their airline ticket cost on the fly so they had the money on their account as they spoke didn't have to provide any documentation whatsoever so in this case you had a really empowered employee having access to information, serving uh, a customer that immediately became an, such a net promoter that he called me immediately thereafter talking about it. So mm. that's what uh, we mean with this, you know, giving people information and giving uh, or employees information and giving the empower them to actually act on it and making business decisions with the values and with the, with the, you know, try, uh, the, 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 the knowledge that we want them to do it with, that is what makes uh, customers happy, even in today's uh, digital uh, workspace. 
Thank you. Very interesting. I'm so pleased that you gave that real-life example. Uh, Hans-Peter, we, we love when we get case studies that are positive. And you mentioned some things about expressing the brand and, and helping the company and, and basically being a representative of the company. I think this has been missing in the service field for a long, long time. And I just moved from New York to North Carolina a week ago, and I noticed that everybody, wherever I went in the stores, the, the checkers at the supermarket, the clerks, wherever I went, everybody was smiling and pleasant and happy. I'm not used to that from New York. And I said yeah. to one young, one young woman, I looked at her name tag. It was something like Janice. She was a checker at a supermarket. And I said, Janice, you're smiling. You're polite. You're pleasant. You're happy. I said, how come? And she said, well, ma'am, that's part of my job is to be nice to customers and to smile and to enjoy what I do. Hans Peter, I almost passed out. <laughs> I haven't heard that in yes. maybe but, but, ever. Go ahead. But but you know, it's that's how it is. You know, like I have a nine-year-old son, and he came back from school. You know, he's been taught at school, smile grows smiles, basically trans, freely translated from Norwegian. And we see this in our service business too, that if you... Also, even on the telephone or via emails, if you're polite, if you're smiling, there is a total different user experience. And uh, clearly, so how do you get the employees to smile? Well, of course, you can force smiles on uh, on them. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the only real smile you'll get if you also create an atmosphere where they also feel that they are empowered for the, uh, they are well trained and they feel safe in the job environment that we have put them into. And that applies in both the physical as well as in the, say, digital workplace. Thank you very much. Great opening to our topic. And we have a lot more to talk about than smiles. But the question of how do you, I think we should, should change the title of the show from how do you empower, do you, how do you empower and motivate your employees to be part of your digital transformation? What's left of the human interaction? We'll talk about that a lot more. Hans Peter, very happy to have you on board. And stay tuned. We're going to now introduce our second guest, Roger Quinlan, coming back on SAP Radio. And Roger sent us a very interesting quote. I I love this one from Admiral William H. McRaven, born in 1955, a little bit younger than, than Jan Carl, Jan Carlson, retired U.S. Navy Admiral who served, last served as the ninth commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command from 2011 to 2014, and he has now been the Chancellor of the University of Texas system since 2015. Very, very interesting. He retired from the Navy in 2014 after more than 37 years of service. Here's the quote Roger has selected from Admiral McRaven. If you want to change the world, find someone to help you paddle. You know, Roger, with the hurricanes leaving here, the the east part, eastern part of the U.S., uh, paddle wasn't going to do it, but certainly uh, maybe running the motorboat or the rescue plane or something like that. Roger Quinlan, how are you? Welcome back. I'm well. Thanks for having me. I didn't realize that uh, my paddle reference was going to be uh, so topical given what's happened over the last week. Yeah, I know, I know, and I say that with, with a smile, but sadness as well, with all of the people recovering and trying to get their lives back. So, Roger, talk to me about this quote. How did you come across William H. McRaven's quote, and what does it mean in terms of our topic, digital transformation, empowering employees in new ways? Go ahead, Roger. 
Well, I stumbled across um, the commencement address from Admiral McRaven. He was the, he was the acting uh, commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command at the time, so it was just before he had retired. And he did a commencement address uh, in May of two four, 2014 to the University of Texas. And by the way, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. It's 19 minutes of your time that will be well spent. And he basically, uh, the premise of his speech is, I don't remember who talked during my graduation, so if I can't make it memorable, at least I'm going to make it short. So it's not very long. But he talks about the 10 things he learned in life that he basically learned at uh, basic SEAL training. And basic SEAL training is what all Navy SEALs have to go through, regardless of whether you're an officer or enlisted person. Um, and he went through a couple of things, not the least of which is, you know, if you want to you know, if you want to start your day right and make your bed. Um, but this one is really about teamwork and making sure that, uh, you know, when you have seven to nine people in one of these little rubber dinghies and you're out in the Pacific Ocean in the winter off the coast of San Diego, which is notoriously cold that time of year, um, if, if everyone in the boat is not paddling in exactly the same direction at the same time and all coordinated, the boat goes sideways, it gets dumped over in the surf, you end up on the sand and you have to do it again. Um, and those that didn't learn this ended up washing out. And I think their, their SEAL class started with about 150 folks. They ended up with less than 40 by the time it was all done. And so his point was, if you want to change the world, you've you got to get someone to help you. Uh, and and in, in that particular situation, it was someone on a paddle, someone who can, who can take direction and someone who can give direction and someone who can be coordinated. And I think that's very topical given what we're trying to help our clients with these days, which is how do they transform from being you know, somewhat of a, a digital enterprise to a completely digital enterprise? Uh, there's lots of change management, and you have to have the entire organization on board. You'd mentioned, uh, you know, the, the experience you had with a checker at the grocery store. Um, clearly, the management of that grocery store has everyone on board with their plan. And I think yes. Admiral McRaven made the same comment about uh, basic SEAL training, is you really want everybody on board. And he said that's obviously a skill that's translated to many aspects of life. So get some help. I like that. And you have to get the right help, and the help has to be in the frame of mind to know what you need and to be on board. And and I love the comment that Hans-Peter made about the brand and being part of the understanding who you are with the company and what you're trying to convey. I, I have seen such poor customer service. And I want to be clear for our audience, we're not just talking about customer-facing positions, right, Roger? We're talking about deeper into the organization. Am I correct, Roger? That's our focus today. That's is correct. In, yeah, Bonnie, because truthfully, sometimes when you're going, and I've, and I've seen hundreds of these journeys here at SAP with our clients, it, it's when, when people smile and say, yes, I believe you, and then they go back to doing their job the same way they did it before, not the new way, it undermines the overall effort. And sometimes those people, you, you know, don't see customers, and so it's not exposed to the outside world except mm-hmm. that it changes the, the pace with which this change can happen or maybe undermines it altogether. Thank you very much. Uh, and and if, uh, uh, yes. And if I might comment, I mean, yeah, we talk about let's differentiate between end customers and internal customers because I think there are no employee in any co- company that doesn't have a customer of sorts. You know, if it's not the end customer, they serve an internal customer. And so when I talk about customer and serving customers, it's 
the same whether they see the end customer or the other ones because it's like a domino or ripple effect. If, say, the IT guy, if he serves uh, the end user with a smile, the end user that might be meeting with the end customer will also probably do it. So uh, so that uh, it applies regardless of whether you're in, say, deep into the organization or at the front line where you meet the, the guy that pays your bill. Thank you. Very important. I, and I appreciate both of you clarifying that because I didn't want our audience to think we were just talking about customer service and, and uh, grocery store clerks who are important, but we're talking about deep into the organization. So now it's time for us to get to know our panelists just a little bit better. Hans-Peter Mellerud, I know you are in Norway because our engineer, Kevin Gaspin, called you there. So I'd love to know what part of Norway you're in today. Tell us a little bit about what time of the day and what the weather is. Everybody wants to know about the weather these days and what are you drinking if it makes you smile talking about smiles Hans Peter if not what would you rather be drinking in your cup today so go ahead Hans Peter yeah I'm located in Oslo Norway and at the moment we have say fairly good weather actually this morning I think Hurricane Irma and her siblings I guess it looked like had found her way also to Norway but what? now it looks good and <laughs> and yeah and uh, yeah we're doing great here. Norway is a peaceful part of the earth and we're not having too many natural disasters here, so we can focus on other things. So bringing back to what do I drink if it if it makes me smile? I think coffee is probably what everyone would answer, and I think we all drink too much of it, myself included. So. If you're gonna, if I'm gonna drink something and it's not alcoholic, it's my sport drinks while out in the fantastic green nature here, mountain biking, either racing or just out there on some trails and riding along and enjoying thinking. I like that. Riding along and enjoying thinking. That's something I have to learn to do. Walk and ride and enjoy thinking. I never know what to think. I usually do my worrying when I'm walking and riding. I have to learn to just think about smiling. That would be better. I'm going to take some lessons from you, Hans Peter. Do you have a favorite beverage that is not coffee? Is there a wine you love or is there a beer that's very popular over there that you would recommend to us? Yeah, I think on the wine side, we actually we are into this more or less the same stuff as you do. But we have great Norwegian beer, and uh, you know, uh, when we have time to drink it. Okay, well, after the show, you can make time to drink it. And what time is it over there right now, Hans Peter? It's uh, six o'clock in the evening or six thirty. Okay. Almost time for that beer. We'll let you go in, in about 40, 40 minutes and you can go. Thank you. Roger Quinlan, where art thou today and what makes you smile when it's in your cup? Go ahead, Roger. Uh, I am in, Paul, in my Palo Alto office today. So the weather this morning is actually pretty nice. Uh, a dramatic change from last night. Um, I was uh, firing up my new barbecue and we had thunder and lightning. Um, oh, no. Which is odd for us this time of year. Yeah. Um, but the weather today seems to be, uh, you know, the typical partly cloudy blue sky kind of day here in, in uh, Northern California. Um, and what's in my cup? I just finished a, uh, last week I just finished a hike, um, 63 and a half mile hike in the, on the John Muir Trail um, over four days. 
And so the only thing I drank for four days was water, obviously, that you run through a filter. So normally my answer to that is water because I drink a lot of water, but having drank nothing but water for four days, I'm, uh, I'm actually having some, some uh, tea this morning, some chamomile tea, which is great. If I'm not drinking that, um, I love a drink called Golden Rye. A friend of mine owns a distillery called uh, Old World Spirits, and it's very much craft distilling. Um, a guy named Davern Kuchin, fabulous master distiller. Anyway, he makes this thing called uh, Golden Rye. Um, it's fabulous. And so uh, at the end of today, I may have some of that. Golden rye. Am, am, am I old enough to drink something like that? Let's see. Golden rye. This smitten golden rye ale from Bell's Brewery. There's golden. There's a place called the Golden Rye Grill in New Middletown, probably Connecticut. Did you know that, Roger? I did not. There's a travel channel called the Golden Rye, a video on the travel channel. Uh, yeah, Bell's Brewery. Sounds like untap- he picked a popular name for his uh, distilled spirit. Absolutely. Smitten Golden Rye. I'm looking this up, and if it doesn't res- resolve here quickly, yeah, Bell's Brewery, Rye Beer, uh, and it's a Facebook page. Uh, no, it's untapped. It looks like a Facebook page. Well, we'll just have to check that out. Thank you for the recommendation. And as Roger knows, and Hans Peter is about to know, they do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. I've already had a show an hour and a half ago, so this is my second live show today, and all I'm allowed to drink is water. So I have a glass of cool, clear water. I brought my Brita filter pitcher with me from New York to North Carolina, but I have a pink straw because the rain is getting a little boring here. Granted, it's just rain, not too windy, but I'm ready for sunshine again. I really am. So I'm hoping. So that's why the pink straw, it's wishful thinking. We're having a very interesting conversation here about empowering your employees in new ways. We're going to get down to what we used to call the nitty gritty after we take a quick break. My special guests are Hans Peter Mellerud, founder and uh, CEO of Zalaris, Z-A-L-A-R-I-S. Hans Peter, before I go to break, tell us what does your company do, please? I meant to ask you, what do you do? Yeah, we do outsourcing and consulting services of the HR and payroll functions in the Northern Europe. So we basically serve all your needs in the Nordics, Baltics, Poland, Germany, and so on. That's why you're perfect for this topic. And speaking of perfect for the topic, I have to thank uh, the, the team that put together this panel. Pamela Dunn is back from a fellowship. Welcome back, Pam. Liz Hall was involved with this, Alicia Rudolph. And I want to thank the three of you for inviting two such very charming and energetic and intelligent panelists. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be back in 90 seconds. You can count them along with us. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill by now. We'll be right back. Kevin out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. 
Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. Yes, indeed we are. We've got all the key words in the title of this series, Partnerships Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. We're talking about your partnership with your workforce, your digital workforce, your agile workforce, whatever they do for you, wherever they are, partners, and they need to be empowered and motivated to convey your brand, your message, keep your company on track, and help you grow, thrive, and compete in the digital marketplace. There, that kind of covered it all. We're talking today to Hans-Peter Mellerud, founder and CEO at Zolaris, and Roger Quinlan, Senior VP, Managed Cloud at SAP. We're going to start the roundtable in earnest, as my late mother used to say, in earnest. And she used to say, if he's earnest, is he sincere? That was a family joke. Uh, We're going to start with some notes here from Hans Peter's discussion statements he sent me before the show. So let me read a little bit. Hans Peter wants to talk about decentralizing an organization. He said, the decentralizing, uh, decentralization of the organization can lead to both a large boost in company morale and, and better control over the organization. The flat structure, delegation processes, and empower, uh, empowerment of employees adopted at SAS, and we're referring back to, to Jan Carlson's uh, company, uh, led to him writing a book, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So, Hans-Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit more about decentralizing in this digital age? Go ahead. Yeah, I think, uh, Bonnie, it's... Uh absolutely key to success and to also scale for growth in the digital age that we decentralize because with the speed of change that we have, it's, uh, I, I would say, virtually impossible to, to drive businesses successfully in uh, a command and control type of fashion. Um, and uh, this is both in connection with the actual ability to grow but also in respect to what do our, the millennials that work for us these days, what type of work environments do they expect? And I think also interesting enough, Roger brought into this example special forces in his quote in the introduction. I think, you know, we in the digital age, we need to, Basically, look at the special forces. We need to install our employees being our special forces out there uh, serving customers or internal customers. And why are special forces so successful at what they're doing? Yes, they are that because they have been, they have a fantastic key morale. They have got that through working together under really harsh conditions. They have uh, a common set of values that then the military or us as managers in the more, say, corporate sense can help them generate. 
and they have been provided lots of training, really, and, uh, and uh, belief in what uh, they can do themselves, and they know the boundaries that they can operate in. So in, in this digital economy, if we want to scale for growth, we need to ensure that the employees that uh, run our organizations, that they know their boundaries, that they have the training, that they have the information that they need to operate, and that they have clear boundaries what they can actually do uh, in order to develop the business. And then it is our role as managers to convey, and I would call it daily, how can we multiply our heads into our employees such that we collectively can, can uh, develop the organization. So my challenge also to every manager listening is you should daily think about, you know, how much time is your multiplication time? How much time do you actually spend multiplying your efforts out in the organization rather than doing stuff that is just basically linear uh, not uh, driving the growth of the organization. Thank you. Very interesting perspective there. Roger Quinlan, love to get your thoughts. Sure. I, I think from, from my experience, it's all about setting the overall tone and direction of the organization and then not dictating the actual how the work gets done too much. I feel like empowering the team, giving them the guidelines and the guardrails, if you will, uh, and then let them be creative in how they solve the problem. And certainly your employees are going to solve problems a little bit differently than, than you might, uh, but I think that's usually a very good thing. Usually you find, um, uh, especially when it comes to the younger set, the millennials, they actually approach problem solving quite differently than than someone like like me who's got 20 years of SAP experience might. And and having the trust and faith in your employees that they're going to actually get it right or at least learn in the process is super important. And I think when you give your employees the, the freedom to figure out the how, you've already told them the what. Let them figure out the how they get there. Um, they end up feeling empowered and they, they're energized to come to work and they work harder and they get better results. So I, I tend to be less of a, a dictate how everything gets done and more of a here's the direction we want to go. We want to double the size of this business in three years, as an example. Uh, here's the kinds of business we want to do and the kinds we don't want to do. You guys can go out and find the right partners and find their, help them find the right end clients to get this job done. That is a much more effective way to, to solve the problem, and in fact, to get a higher quality solution for the end client, which I like. I think everybody likes that. The question is, does it take a special kind of a mindset? Roger, I'll start with you, and then I'll ask Hans Peter. Special mindset, we're talking about uh, managers, we're talking about high-level leadership. Do they need training to understand how important this is? In other words, Roger, is what we're talking about now with you and Hans Peter, is this breaking news? Companies going to say, what? I'm supposed to do that? Seriously? There's an easier way? What? I have to boost morale? So, so where does it come from? What type of leadership does this require at the top or along the lines? Roger, thoughts? Yeah, so, so two things I think about. The first thing is you, ha- you have to set your own ego aside because, you know, we've, we've been in positions, uh, you know, of leadership for a long time, and, of course, we think we have the right answer. But 
but allowing the employees to figure out what that answer might be on their own sometimes is beneficial, not just for the organization, but for them and their career and their decision-making process. So, so setting your own, your own ego aside and making sure that everyone, out, everyone has a voice and it's not just a, uh, you know, when you have ongoing dialogue with your employees, it's not a you talking, them listening. Make sure it's really a two-way communication because then they feel like, like they're part of the organization. They feel that that they have something to offer and that it's valuable and meaningful. And, and if they don't, they don't stay long. And even if they do stay, they, they don't necessarily stay focused on the priorities, right? They, they find other things to keep themselves interested. So I think the first thing is setting your own uh, ego aside. And then the second thing is listen carefully. Listen to what they're saying and how they're saying it. Listen to the responses that are coming back from uh, from others in the organization around how that decision was was created and how it was implemented. If they're customer facing, listen to the customers and how it's being received. Um, making sure, as my grandfather said, that you utilize the assets that you were given: two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. I uh, heard that one. Very, very apropos. Thank you, Roger. Hans Peter, your thoughts on, on what Roger said. Listen, respect the POVs, get everybody involved, put your ego aside. Hans Peter, is that part of decentralizing the organization? Uh, ab- absolutely. I think, uh, you know, uh, that, 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 that's some of the building blocks of it. Uh, and in addition to that, I think organizations, to make this happen, must also build the uh, uh, a, a framework or an environment where also managers feel safe to do this because I think in also in many businesses the need for control is overriding this uh, that it's override or it's taking control over the uh, you're much more likely to impose ways to control something because you want to feel safe and you need to have a certain courage and dare to try something and you must feel good also as a manager to let your employees try out things and also possibly fail and that's of course the flip side of this of this so I think that you know in addition to what Roger mentions uh, companies must provide uh, a space for managers to, so, so they feel safe to, 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 to delegate authority. And you must also install processes where you, together with your team, also review both good and bad, uh, you know, how situations were uh, handled such that you actually learn from them. So that's also key to have a learning organization that it's not just letting people just go and do it exactly as they want it, but you must also uh, step, uh, take a step back afterwards and evaluate. So how did it go? What did we learn from it, good and bad, and focus on, uh, on the good parts of it uh, to motivate people to then focus on that going forward. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Uh, Roger, I'm looking at your notes here. I think we've covered a couple of these topics, but one I like a lot here. You say, praise effort. Don't focus on talent. Focus on effort. Over the long run, effort is more important than talent. Can you uh, explain or expand that for us, please, Roger? Sure. And I, I, um, I actually learned this from, from uh, just parenting with three kids, and it's really around... 
um, you know, every, every child has different skills, just like every employee has different skills, and their, their achievement in certain subjects or certain, uh, you know, extracurricular activities may vary. Um, but when they really give it their all and they try hard, um, children just like employees, uh, you want to praise that effort because they put a bunch of time and energy and they really wanted to go after something and they tried very hard and maybe the result was was great, maybe it was just okay, but they really did try hard and they probably learned a lot along the way. That kind of effort needs to be rewarded and, and recognized because that at some point you're going to need them to do something, especially your employees, not necessarily your children, but uh, you're going to need your employees to go the extra mile to get something done, whether it's at the end of the quarter or right before a client go live, goes live or something like that. And they really they need to know that the extra effort is going to get rewarded, recognized. Um, and, and if you spend the time to do that, when the pressure is not on, they know, it's going to, they know that that praise and reward will come when, when it is. So it's important consistently to give people feedback, good and bad, but also when they do extra effort, make sure you make a fuss of it. Ah, a fuss. I like that. Does that mean uh, giving them a catalog to pick a gift, or does that mean having them explain what they did on a team call and uh, basically giving them digital uh, gold stars or brownie points and letting people know that they did something that contributed in an extraordinary way? What, what would be your how – you, how do you reward well, there's two, two in, internal to SAP, we have two different mechanisms. One um, is, the, uh, is a, you know, kind of a peer-to-peer thank you award, and basically it says you're living up to one of our five core values, and you've done well, and when you send the, the note to that person, it copies their management. Um, so they get, they get some praise in front of their management. Um, so that's one way. The other way is we actually have a, uh, another option from, that managers are allowed to use that uh, has cash, um, small cash amounts, you know, 50, 100, $250 kind of a thing uh, in the U.S. anyway that allows us to say you, did, you went above and beyond your job or you filled in for someone else when, you know, they were out on sick leave for an extended period of time. Here's an extra thank you for that. Utilizing those two things are kind of the formal mechanisms that we have internal to the company. But I think the most powerful one is, uh, you know, on the on the Monday morning team call when I get my uh, my global organization together very early West Coast time because uh, we have to hit all the time zones in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, get them get them on a call very early on Monday morning, um, just to call it out and say, you know, we we just did a you know. Uh, a client of ours that had been a client for a long time and is no had had gone off maintenance and was kind of wondering what they were going to do. We just brought them back into the fold and now they're going to start on an S4 journey and maybe Solaris is going to help them do some of this work. And when you have that kind of a dialogue and you can say, and thank you to Benjamin and his team in Latin America for doing that, that, that goes a long way. Everyone hears that you're excited about the prospects of, of what we've done for this uh, end customer and the fact that the employees are being valued for the effort that they put in. I think it's important to showcase that in front of everybody, not just because I think it's good for morale and good for energy, but because these people did a good job and they deserve a little credit. And I think too often we don't give enough credit uh, informally in, se- in, uh, in, in sessions like that to the people that really deserve all that. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Uh, if, yeah. if, sure. If I might add to that, uh, I I truly support Roger, and I particularly think that you know, let's not even though we're selling all kinds of 
performance appraisal solutions and all kinds of fancy digital ways to do this, which, of course, works good. One shouldn't let systems stand in the way to just do the easy thing in the world to actually give the person doing a great job, just make them aware of that you see that they are doing a good job. This is my experience, that... You don't, nothing goes as far as just recognizing people's work, even though you don't even need to do it in presence of others. If you just see they do a good Mm -hmm. job, be sure that they know that that's how you feel about it. Because it's, it's, uh, this is like your, you know, your uh, childhood uh, uh, love, first love type of thing, you know, you meet 40 years later or 30 and both talk about I was such in love and nobody and the others say I was in love with you too and but nobody really knew because nobody dared to say it and it's the same at uh, it's the same at the work too if unless we explicitly as managers tell our employees that they do a good job when they deserve it they might think that they actually don't know about that they are doing a good job Mm -hmm. so if you do it they that goes a long way and it's totally free and uh, in Solaris, I actively, if I even hear like people not reporting to me that they do a great job, for example, doing a demo for a customer. I just had one of our consultants, heard our sales director was so pleased with this one consultant having done a success factors demo, the best one he'd ever seen, actually. And I went at the first the possibility that I saw the guy told him that I heard that he did such a good job and you can see that people just lighten up when you do that so that's my encouragement and like with the kids you give as much praise as you can as long as it is honest because nothing is kind of it doesn't fly well if people just think you're doing it just to make them feel good well put, Hans Peter. Or something real. Thank you. That leads me to another topic in your list. The flip side of praise is how do you handle mistakes? And your advice is forgive mistakes. But you also say, and this caught my attention, Hans Peter. If your team is not making mistakes, then you are not reaching high enough. And you also say establish clear differences between mistakes that are acceptable versus mission-critical offenses. Can you tell us more? I think this is very, very key because today, Hans-Peter, very often the culture in companies is fail fast, fail often. We see this in design thinking workshops. We teach people it's okay to make mistakes, okay to mess up, but learn from it and come back and do something else and keep making it better. But the difference between acceptable and mission-critical offenses is important. So please tell us a little bit more. Great point here. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, I used to be uh, in my younger days uh, as the instructor, and coming back in the evening, many people told me, oh, I didn't fall once at all these days. And I, my reply was always, then you didn't try hard enough. And I think <laughs> this also applies to, to, to our businesses, that, you know, you need to, in order to, you know, with the type of uh, uh, tough, uh, also, and uh, business environments that we're working under, if we want to develop, if we will, shall win, we, we must also dare to try out things. 
and then it must be also allowed to fail at times. Of course, it's difference between being reckless and mm-hmm. trying something with the best intent. And at least in my book, this is this is where I, you know, uh, encourage our management to think is. One is, of course, you don't make the same mistake twice or twice. You know, you must learn from your mistakes. That's, that's, that's the first thing. And, of course, you shall not be reckless. And as long, but you must also try with, within, say, the set of values uh, that we have uh, given you. And if it's with a good intent, then we should allow people to make mistakes and, and, hope that uh, that in the long run, uh, at least successful ones, has shown that they make uh, uh, more successful decisions and actions than the ones that actually cause mistakes. But you must let go to a certain extent, letting people try. If you will, if you shall touch that boundary that you that you're reaching for it. Thank you, Hans-Peter. Roger, we have a couple of minutes left before we go to our predictions round. I'd love to talk about this note. It was the last one you sent me. You want to talk about the master beekeeper empowering your bees, equaling <laughs> your employees. I need you to explain this. Honeybees, uh, employees, buzz, buzz. I started out with the buzz quote, Roger, so I think this is a very important, very appropriate way to, to wrap up the discussion. So, Roger, beekeeper, talk to me. Yeah, so I, I am a master beekeeper, and that entails all kinds of things. Uh, you know, pretty rigorous course of study, as most programs do at that level. Um, and um, my family runs a small honey farm, and we we sell at local a couple local high end grocery stores. And what I've learned in the process is, if you put the environment, uh, if you set up the environment properly, and then let the bees manage it all themselves, they figure it out. They communicate amongst themselves. They, they figure out what they need to do, when they need to get water, when they don't need to get water, when they need to store, when they need to eat, when they need to reproduce, when they can stop, when they need to, you know, get ready for winter. If you, if you make sure you set up the right environment, make sure that you, you know, put their hives in good sunny locations um, with the entrances facing how the sun rises, little things like that kind of creates the environment for them to do all the things that they do so that I don't have to do things like, you know, use chemicals in the hives to, uh, to prevent mites or to prevent disease. They, they figure out how to do it themselves. And if for some reason they can't and the hive fails or the queen fails, then they make a new queen. Uh, and, and so one of the things I learned through my, my beekeeping is setting up the right environment and then getting out of the way and letting the experts, meaning the bees, do what they need to do um, to propagate their species and survive and thrive. Um, I've done my job. Once, once I set up the environment and you know, uh, clear away some hurdles every now and then, uh, it, you know, I've done what, I, what, I, what I'm supposed to do. And that, that applies also to the job I do here, um, making sure that, that I set up the right environment, the right goals, the right objectives, and then when we get... Uh, things that come up help them remove the obstacles and then just get out of their way and let them do their job. And that seems to work not just uh, here at SAP, but also for the 16 honeybee colonies we have here in Silicon Valley. Very, very interesting. Hans, Peter, do you have anything to say about honeybees? Do you know anything about hives or, or just the, it's, it's like oh, a know, metaphor? I, Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, my, 
I didn't know, Roger, that we were partly in the same business because my father, he also does beef. And I also really? learned that if you, if you don't manage, if you as the master beekeeper also don't manage, say, the management, right, so that you get more than one queen in there, then also you know, a big part of your workforce might just fly away very quickly. So you might then be really working hard to entice them to come back and then maybe give them a total new uh, beehive. So, so I think this, the whole concept with bees, uh, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really interesting picture, I think, also on, that we can also use uh, for our day-to-day business life, actually. What an interesting coincidence. You're both families are both yeah. involved with beekeeping. <laughs> Who knew? Roger, of all the, what I've done, uh, almost six years of radio shows and had thousands of panelists, and maybe there were other panelists that were also involved in beekeeping, but it never, never came out during a show. Fascinating. Uh, Roger, we're about three minutes from our predictions round. You sent such a nice long list, as did Hans-Peter. And I'm wondering, is there anything left in your list that you want to quickly cover? Uh, Roger, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's see. We covered uh, praising effort. I would say the one thing, Bonnie, that yeah, I, one thing that I think is important is making sure you're providing um, you know, feedback to your employees on a regular basis. Don't, don't you know, if many companies say, oh, we're going to do, you know, the formal review process once a year, and then maybe we're going to do another interim one at the mid-year point. I think if you're only giving your employees feedback on how they're doing, and by the way, eliciting their feedback on how you were doing for them, if you're only doing that twice a year, you're not doing your job. It has to be an ongoing dialogue. Okay, very, very important one. And I also see you say provide growth paths. Can you tell me a little bit more about that one quickly, Roger? Yeah, making sure that, that there are career paths for your employees and that they have interesting things to do next and helping them with that. Don't hoard talent. Develop it, expand it, and uh, you know, pr- uh, propagate it out into the organization. Okay. Hans-Peter, anything you want to add from your list? We still have another two minutes till we need to go to predictions. I know you also sent a lot here. Listen intently. Generous boundaries. Uh, we talked about decentralizing, taking responsibility. We talked about, let's talk about quickly giving employees generous boundaries to make their own decisions. That is probably part of our topic we covered a few minutes ago, Hans-Peter, about clearly defining the differences between learning mistakes and growth versus mission-critical OMG offenses. Anything you want to talk to about boundaries uh, in general outside of the mistake area? Uh, Well, I I think I touched it briefly as an example with this uh, travel insurance case uh, previously, Mm -hmm. but I think the more clearer we can be on what type of boundaries our employees can operate under, the more safety we will actually give them. And also, like, building on Roger's previous comments on, you know, kids, I have two boys myself, and one thing that we can tell is, you know, it being, say, giving them boundaries is also giving them, making them feel safe. And I think this also applies to our employees that if if you give them clarity on what type of decisions that they can make and what type of authorities they have they and the freedom to make calls within that uh, 
say, generous space, then they will feel more safe, they will feel pressured, and uh, at the end of the day, they will do a better job for you. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And I think now we can officially enter into our crystal ball predictions round. We have a little less than five minutes left for the end of the show. So I can give you each about 90 seconds. Let's look into the crystal ball. I'm still fond of 2020, as Roger may remember from the last time he appeared on Game Changers with me. Uh, it's only three New Year's Eves away, and one of them is coming up darn soon. But I'd love to have you talk about any time in the future, Hans-Peter Millerud at Zolaris, Anytime in the future something dramatic will change about this, whether it's any new rules of the road, if you will, about how to empower employees in the digital workforce, um, how disrupting disruptor companies should be empowering past the startup stage, uh, anything you can see that would be important information that our panelists can say, oh, I heard Hans-Peter Meller would predict this on Game Changers Radio, and it's true two years from now. So go ahead, Hans-Peter, predict, please, 90 seconds. Uh, I'm not that good of predictions, but I just recently read in a report from the Everest Group that currently 6.8 billion people have access to mobile phones, while in comparison only 4.5 billion have access to a working toilet. So, you know, on that, I think uh, if many, I think maybe it's because we are getting older, I think in terms of digitization and all the electronics and, you know, the speed that we change now, one might question, you know, how long can we continue developing this way with, you know, mobiles, we're always on, we're basically always working, work life, there is no work life balance because it's Mm. basically all increasingly just in one group uh, or it's we're working and living and that's also a condition to be harmonized together i think that if i were to predict something i you know also looking at that 25 percent of people in the world use social media for more than 15 hours a month and i think there are lots of people using it much more than that i wonder if is, is this sustainable that we will be spending so much time in front of our devices that our backs are bent and we have mm. much or little time to, to uh, interact with, the, you know, the people around us? I think we'll, if I were to predict something, is that at some point of time, even the millennials and the younger ones, they will maybe counteract and say, well, let's, spend some physical time together interacting as humans because that has also been proven that with their babies without social contact, they're dying. And Mm -hmm. the question is, are we also as grown-ups, are we, say, vaccinated against that or do we actually also need this social contact and the interaction in a more, say, traditional manner to actually thrive and, and then further drive the, 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 the useful part of the digi- digitization process. So Thank that would very... be my production. Maybe a little gloomy, but that we probably That's will okay. need some change in it. We yeah. want reality <laughs> checks here. Roger Quinlan, I saved oh, about 75 seconds for you. Go ahead, Roger. Prediction, please. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think how we manage our millennial workforce is going to change. I think 
that that workforce is likely to be more transient. It's likely to have less tenure, likely to be less fixated on some of the things that previous generations have cared about. And um, and I think that's going to cause all of us as leaders and managers to change how we operate. I think we're going to have to be more hands-on. We're going to have to be more intuitive. We're going to have to listen more. Some of the things we've talked about today, I think, become more and more important as we as we go into the future. And I also think being adaptable and flexible is going to be not just uh, an asset, but it's going to be kind of the ticket to entry for anybody in management going forward because um, because the, the requirement's going to be very, very different in the next 10 years for the workforce that's coming up versus the one that's here now. Thank you very much. Very valid. I have just enough time to say thank you to Hans-Peter Mellerud at Zolaris and Roger Quillen at SAP. And again, a shout-out to Pam Dunn and Liz Hall and Alicia Rudolph for putting together this really important topic and great panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel with a new episode of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship show. Our audience is all over the world, and we always appreciate you listening and hope you learn and maybe get inspired by some of the words of wisdom from our expert panelists. So here is my call to action. Get ready. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Hans Peter and just like Roger. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.